And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torrezani. This is already off to a bad start. I wanted to try the clapping because I thought, you know what? David told me pre-recording, he's like, I, I've had a day and I want to flip the switch and I want to be camera ready for you. So I thought that I would pull out, you know, the claps. Oh, it's supposed yeah. to be- so it's like clapping, oh, like, here we go. I've yay. never acted. This doesn't- this well, That has nothing register. to do with acting. That's just like clapping, like, I'm excited to be here with you. No one's ever clapped for me. Well, oh my gosh, everyone, I'm, <laughs> I am begging you that for this episode, I am going to post a video clip. I want everyone to leave an emoji of clapping for David- just to turn his frown upside down. Just just a round of applause of clapping emojis for David. David, today is going to be a great day because what's really exciting is that we are going to go that much further on the People Magazine article. Um, for those of you who are listening who have not read the article yet, I have the link in my bio. I also have it available um, you can buy it in print. I'm not sure if you can still buy it. Um, it's probably like two weeks old at this point, but you can get it online and I'll provide that link so you can read it and, you know, put this on pause, go read it and then come back um, and we're going to discuss further detail about it. But what's been really special about this whole journey is not only has David been a support system through the pregnancy and through my, you know, weaning off medication and all of that. Um, David also lives with bipolar disorder. So he is skilled and aware and does the research on this beyond being a scientist, like just personally knows this. And, you know, anytime I had a question in regards to the interview that I was doing with Sandra, um, for People Magazine, I would consult with David beforehand and if there would be, you know, facts that, that you know, she had talked to other doctors and other researchers and stuff, I would always come to David and say, okay, David, you are the brain in this situation. I have no idea what these research things that, that they're giving me. This is like some doctor words, big words. And I was overwhelmed and I was crying and I was like, I don't get this help a girl out. Um, and so that's what we did. So first and foremost, thank you, David, for that. Secondly, um, let's get right into it of kind of an extension of what the article is and talking about living with bipolar disorder, with pregnancy, with mental illness, the stigmas behind it. You know, there were a lot of things that I think, you know, are frustrating for you and I just in general living with this disease and this disorder and having to navigate, you know, the the real stigma behind it. So David, hot and heavy coming in. What are your thoughts? You're going to let me speak. I'm going to let you about speak this. about this. <laughs> <laughs> I think this has been interesting for me. Yeah. Make it about myself for a second, because why not? Um, as a researcher, as a scientist, especially who doesn't have an MD, like isn't a practicing physician. Which gives you like a really good like point of view to kind of step back and like that's what you're that's what you're clarifying is like you're not coming at this as a doctor. Yeah, I would like to believe that this is like a an interesting point of view that is not right. heard before, and like 
amongst other people that I work with, I sort of like ask them, it's like, do you have friends? I mean, like we're all nerds, so we don't really have friends sure. that, you know, get interviewed in people magazine, but it's a unique experience for me. Like people from my world do not get to work with somebody who's doing a public facing article that will have the reads and impact that an article and people will. Right. Right. So I think like from my perspective, like watching you go through the process, like taking control of the narrative, like being very vulnerable with like a print piece that comes from a publication that is much different from the publications that I am familiar with. Totally. And to be fair, also a publication that I had no control of what the article was mm -hmm. going to say or was not going to say. And I didn't know what was going to be written about the story until it was mm -hmm. public to the world. Um, and that's the truth. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. So I think it was like an interesting thing of like when I write stuff for public consumption, that like goes through a peer review process that like gets publicly posted with comments and reviewer forums and who reviewed it. And like all these sorts of like, it's so much different than being like, Hey, here's my story to a reporter who like does journalism. Right. Like, you know, it's, right. it's so much different to me. So like trying to translate facts, feelings, sociology, you know, biology, neuro, like all of these, like neuropharmacology, right. like all of these crazy concepts that are like in the textbooks that are this thick into like informing a conversation that ends up getting printed in people is a very difficult and at very, at times like a very confusing task to try and accomplish. Right. So, right. Like, I, I think that what you're doing, the conversation you're starting the engagement that's happening, even with the things that can be interpreted as cons with the article is just like still absolutely amazing. And like based off of the response that you're getting from my point of view is engaging with people at a level that neither of us could predict. A hundred percent. And literally, yeah, like round of applause to every yeah, single person yeah, that clapping reached hands out. Clapping emoji is the yeah. theme of the, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's amazing. Honestly, you and I have talked about the fact that I have received more emails, more people reaching out from my website, Instagram messages, Facebook messages, literally neighbors, um, you know, who didn't even know that I was doing the article and had found the article in People Magazine and then shared personal stories of their own journeys when they were living with, you know, certain, you know, anxieties and postpartum depression and some had bipolar disorder, you know, that I was not aware of. Um, and them opening up their stories and being heard or being scared, you know, young women who live with bipolar disorder who say, I, you know, I am scared to get pregnant. I'm scared to get off my medication or I did get off my medication and it was the best thing that happened, but I was scared to tell my story of getting off medication because I didn't want to be judged. You know, there were there were so many different wonderful incredible people that reached out and every time I would get one, I would send to David and and you know, without their name obviously anonymously, but but just to let him know, you know, even though it was such a, a crazy, you know, few months building up to the story of like not knowing what was going to be said and what wasn't going to be said and and vice versa, 
being like, wow, the impact that was made and not like pat on the back impact to know that I'm not alone, that I'm currently still pregnant and going through this journey and that I have this now like new, you know, um, new group of people that are following along on this process. I mean, David and I were laughing that I've lost like so many of my followers on Instagram and Facebook because they're just young guys that are just like, ooh, a hot girl. Um, and But what's great is that I've, I'm creating this whole new space that's following along on this journey that that's really making me so overwhelmingly feel loved and, and enjoying every bit of this process, even though it's been a struggle. David, what is it something that that in the article per se, you know, specifically that you want to kind of talk more about? Do you want to maybe talk more about the research that goes behind um, medications such as bipolar disorder and, and pregnancy and as to why there is not, there is a lack of research involved in pregnant women just with pharmaceuticals in general? I mean, I think I can talk to some of the structural issues of, A, why these studies are very difficult and expensive to do. Yeah. Which means that they mostly don't get done. Yeah. <laughs> like, unfortunately. Right, right. And then like some of the things that sort of just like grinded my gears as a, as a you know, yes. someone who is a <laughs> professional. Yes. I mean, like you, you have to understand how something gets done right like the the proof is many many ways in the methodology we are sort of a custom i'll give you a very bad 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 analogy here but like <laughs> we love bad analogies yeah yeah yeah. no this is like my cup of tea like <laughs> any analogy i just like absolutely blow it out of the water it makes no sense um you go to the store and you buy an iphone you don't right. know what's in it like, you don't know how it was assembled. You don't know how it was put together. But, like, you just, like, pick up this thing and it's fully formed function. And you don't have to ask any of the difficult questions about why are the screws 0. 0.075 millimeters? Like, you why, know, like right. there's so much R&D, so many decisions that have to be made behind the product. A, it shouldn't be your problem if it's designed well. But B, when it's designed poorly, this is when you see people start to tinker. For my bad iPhone analogy, like there's no more headphone jacks. So like somebody builds a part to plug into the phone to like make some functionality that you wish that you had. Right. And it's not the same for everyone, but like there's this idea that like we have to make choices and we try and make choices when we build things that play to the largest group possible. Pregnant women are not in that group when we design drugs, mm. ever. Like, full stop, ever. You want to do a study recruitment for FDA phase through trials after you go through phase one, phase two, IND labeling, like all the things you have to do to get a drug to finally test in a population at scale. Pregnant women aren't in those things, ever. A, some of the, some of the times they're just excluded. Mm. Well, also, like, m for the majority of these studies, the, what we call trial arms, right. so like the people that get matched to a group and then for how long you're in that group taking a drug are longer than nine months. So how can you do it, right? You can't have a major life in the middle of it if you're testing drug sp like stability for effect, especially with side effects mm. in a trial period that's longer than nine months. Also, we track what we call placebos and nocebos now. So placebo is if I gave you a sugar pill, 
and then you reported some change in, let's say, hypertension here. Right. They give you a placebo to try and lower your blood pressure. Um, you take the sugar pill and then your blood pressure goes down. Like it's not a function of the drug, but the outcome goes in the direction that you want the drug that you're actually testing to go in. Right. A nocebo would be I give you a sugar pill and your blood pressure actually goes up. You get the unintended consequence. Which we can't do to a pregnant person. But like and even if those effects aren't real from the nocebo, like the the when you watch drug commercials on TV and they're like, you know, whatever drug may cause like constipation, dizziness, like those are all the side effects of being pregnant. Right. So it's like, how do you know? Is it a drug effect? Is it a pregnancy effect? Like right. whatever. Right. So like we just Oh, say, that's so interesting. I never it. heard of it that way, that it would be because of those side effects. Right. Of course. You I've experienced your, you all that. You ruin your statistical power. Yeah. You ruin your statistical power trying to determine if the drug that you're giving somebody versus the placebo that you're giving somebody has some differential effect mm. that you can measure, submit to the FDA, and prove is real statistically. Right. Anybody who's not healthy usually gets excluded from a drug trial. Like, you obviously want the people who have the disease or the disorder in your study arm. Like, when we test new Alzheimer's disease drugs, like, we give them to people who are losing their memory. Right. Like, there's that aspect of it. But otherwise, you want zero comorbidities. You don't want somebody else to also be sick from something else that can influence the, the outcome that you're, you're testing your drug sure. or your trial on. Sure. So pregnant women, A, just don't. These studies don't happen. It doesn't work. So yeah. I bring a new drug to market. It goes through the FDA approval process. What then happens in a phase four trial, which means the drug is approved, it's out in the marketplace, you can buy it, you can get prescribed it from your doctor. This is when they will start to do subspecialty or subspecific studies where they look at how does that drug interact with children? Mm. Like how did the COVID vaccine get approved in the general population, but not under 12 right. and then not under five? Like you break out, you stratify by specific populations that then you go back and test your drug in once it's been approved for general use. The amount of money that it takes to run an individual drug trial at any given time is some multiple of a billion dollars. Mm. So A, like you're already excluded from most studies, like trial studies. Right. B, you're spending a billion plus dollars on trying to get your drug onto the market in the first place. And then C, you've got to then go back, spend more money to see if we can start to give that drug to subspecialties. For example, and what is sort of maybe not referenced in the article, but has been referenced in response to the article, is I am someone who's taking a SSRI or serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Right. Those drugs pushed to market were not studied in pregnant women. Mm. Women who were on them then got pregnant, and then we studied the outcomes. And then the outcomes associated with those pregnant women defined whether we should keep them on the drug or take them off the drug. So it wasn't like they just started it out of nowhere when they started, they found out they were pregnant and they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm going to start taking antidepressant. Let's start testing them there. Or you've been on an antidepressant for five years, like in a similar situation for those of us who take Lubmictil, mood right. stabilizers, right. anticonvulsants, whatever, whatever class of drug you're on. Like the two ways that you understand how your drug affects pregnant women is that you have some user base that's using that product, then gets pregnant and continues to use that product. And then we track the outcomes afterwards. Right. 
there are some people that will use the product, stop using the product in pregnancy, and then either continue or never continue to use afterwards as well. Right. So you go back and you do longitudinal studies or cohort studies that look at the outcomes associated with those two people, those two groups of people, the people that use through pregnancy or the people that stopped right. while they were pregnant. And then you try and find those people who also have no other comorbidities, mm-hmm. who didn't have a birth defect from something else from some environmental exposure. We know that socioeconomic status, environmental racism, all of the other things in the world's class, race, can change birth outcomes. So you've got to now decide whether the thing you're studying between the women who stayed on the drug during pregnancy and the women who came off the drug during pregnancy and look at their children and say, are the differences that we see or might see from drug or not drug attributable to the fact that they stop taking the drug or is it some other thing that then caused those divisions? Wow. So when you look at the outcomes of this group, so let's say for a, a very dumb and simplistic and like maybe a parallel to where we're going, okay. you take a drug and you don't take a drug while you're pregnant. And then you look at the number of arms and legs that your baby has once you give birth. Right. The number should be four in total, two arms, two legs. Yes. For a drug like thalidomide, which we gave pregnant women to deal with morning sickness in the 50s and 60s, the number was not four. They were born with birth defects, and the outcome of understanding this study was actually the thing that created the very strict pipelining processes that we go through for FDA approval for new drugs. Wow. It did not exist. Pregnant women took a drug. Their their offspring had very, very visual birth defects. They went back and studied. They proved that it was the drug effect. The FDA was essentially created to track the safety of drugs to make sure this never happened again. Like There is a rich history in therapeutics hitting the market. Pregnant women then taking those therapeutics, thinking they're safe, whether they've been designed for non-pregnant use or to treat right. pregnancy-specific symptoms, and then tracking the outcomes associated with them. And literally a failure was the thing that created the FDA pipelining process now. Unbelievable. So there is that aspect of like, something's approved, you take it during pregnancy, you study what happens afterwards. You do statistics, they're called hazard ratios it's a ratio of something. So like you want the ratio to be one if there's no effect. Anything over one means that there's an increased probability of it happening. Anything below 1.85, whatever, is a decreased probability of it happening based on your trial treatment. SSRIs, for example. And just to clarify, an SSRI is used for antidepressants. That is what that is for for those who are- Yes, it's an antidepressant drug. Also used for acute pain in some very, very specific instances, but we won't get into it. Right. But there are many reasons that you could be on an SSRI while you're pregnant. The majority of them are for anxiety and depression. And I get told all the time that SSRIs are totally safe and fine for pregnant women. This is what I have been told. Depends on who you ask. <laughs> okay. This is what I've been told from multiple so, like, doctors. From I just just so you know, because they, they they're asking me if I'm on an SSRI, and I say I am not. I was on Lamictal, um, and they go, "Oh well, SSRIs mm-hmm. are completely safe." I just want to clarify that that's what I've heard more times than not. That is, 
this is the correct medical statement. Anybody worth their weight in their medical degree will tell you that SSRIs are safe during pregnancy. Okay. Behind that statement is a series of research studies that have been run that have done the thing that we've been talking about where somebody stays on an SSRI and somebody doesn't, and then we track the outcomes associated right. with people's children. No birth defects, certainly. If you look at some of the studies, some of them suggest a hazard ratio greater than one, so an increased prevalence of ADHD and autism. Some studies have been unable to replicate those findings. There have been vast methodology differences between one study, a second study, a third study, a fourth study. They all find different outcomes. So then what we do as scientists is we say, okay, these people did 15 studies. We do a meta-analysis. Right. We take all of the data from every single study performed, try and find the most common methodology, stack all the data together, and rerun the analysis. Hmm. If you compress all of those studies together, reanalyze the data, and get some outcome, the data will tell you there is no evidence for the fact that SSRIs during pregnancy lead to an increased risk of ADHD or autism. But does that invalidate the specific studies with the specific methodologies where they did find it? I don't know. Million dollar question. Yeah. Nobody knows. No one knows. There are people who will fight. I go to conferences. I talk to a bunch of other smart people with PhDs and MDs, and we all fight over that exact question. Wow. So we have that aspect of when these things do get done and then they get done again, what do we do with the data? Right. In the research world, there is always us trying to find new solutions. We hypothesize, we run experiments. My best piece of advice that I tell students that train, peers, et cetera, when we're working on problems, sometimes it is worth not running an experiment because if you get results you don't like, you can never ignore them. Whoa. That's, that's There is this aspect crazy. of yeah. we have run a study. Those studies have returned results that are statistically powered. We can argue about the methods. We can argue about how we built the product. Right. But in this version of assembling that product, we got a result that says SSRIs lead to increased prevalence of autism. We're now going to come full circle to the article. Yep. There are instances of specific drug studies that look at lamictal specifically that suggest the prevalence of cleft palate birth defects are increased by taking lamictal. Right. A small number of those studies. Very if you small. crash them all together, reanalyze all the data, lamictal is safe in pregnancy. That is a fact. But there were studies that were done at some point in time that suggested that there might be an increased prevalence. There have been replication studies that have gone back that have had tried to identically repeat those studies. They are never totally identical. Mm. They did not find an increase in birth defects. But this is how we do the meta. This is how you get from, we give people drugs, we analyze the data to the statement that doctors will make that this is safe during pregnancy. That is where they are leaning on. Right. So here's my question for you. So when, when the, you know, journalists had sent me the research that came from, um, I believe the University of Massachusetts, is that where it was from? 
Um, correct. Correct. Um, with that research, I had sent that to you and I said two things. I said, and, and I expressed this to her as well. I said, I have no idea where this research came from because cut to me alone. As you shouldn't. It was France is, is the answer. But. <laughs> okay, so cut to me being alone, um, you know, in my first trimester, not telling a single soul that I was pregnant, having these confusion. I mean, not a single soul. That's not true. My psychiatrist knew um, and my doctor, my OB knew. But I mean, for me personally, um, you didn't even know yet. Um, because I was so nervous that I was going to have a miscarriage or something was going to go wrong that I superstitiously kept it to myself. But when I started to have the mood swings and I started to have the anxiety and the the, the feelings of, you know, what bipolar is to me um, come up, I would Google bipolar and pregnant. Um, I would Google whatever week I was and look up bipolar and pregnancy, you know, feelings. And the only information I ever, ever, ever found on everything, that I, I say this, and I said this in the article, was on Reddit. And it was only other people's stories, people that had gone through what I had gone through. Do you trust Reddit? Do you not trust Reddit? But it was the only community that I could find. Um, because even speaking to friends when I started to get into my second trimester, you know, they were not going through what I was going through. They do not have bipolar disorder the only person that I had found that had experienced similar feelings to me was my friend Eden Cher, who was also living with bipolar and pregnancy, you know, a year before me. But what I had said to you is, I said, how would I have found this research? Because I was on the internet and I was ha finding hashtags and ads and all of the ways I possibly could to find out information. And I didn't see this. And so I said to, to the woman who wrote the article, I said, you know, I'm presenting this to my friend who's my partner. He's a neuroscientist. He, this is what he does for a living. And I said, I don't know how I would have been able to find this, A. And B, there are some big words in this. And I am not understanding how to comprehend what this means, what that means. You know, it, it's it's fucking confusing. Excuse my French, like the research, okay? It's really, really, really confusing. And I said, I'm uh, someone that is very lucky to have someone that literally is in this world, that understands this terminology, that understands the vocabulary and can literally stupid prove it for me. How is someone else going to be able to, A, not only find the research, but B, how are they going to be able to decode this and really understand? Then you brought up another interesting fact to me, which I also shared with her, where we learn about Lamictal and specifically in this in this research through chick embryos. Can you go into what the chick embryo story was? And can you also go into how someone um, like myself, how would I ever be able to find such research? Because this is stuff that was not publicly available. And I felt very stupid that I was being sent this, you know, from some doctor at the University of Massachusetts who, who said, you know, oh, it sounds like, you know, her psychiatrist, 
you know, just gave her wrong information. Well, how was I supposed to find this? Because they made it seem like it was very easy to find this. That's what they had told the journalist. And I said, that is not the case at all. And I need to stand up for that. For, for all women out there who are going through this, it is not easy to find these facts. I will start broad with content moderation and then go very, very specific right. as usual. Right. But like, Mm, let's you, have some fun with this. Okay. Let's have fun. We're going to have fun. You, an end user of the internet, go to Google and you type in 32 weeks pregnant, bipolar. The things you search into Google, like we have the most hilariously bad search terms and we like search for things on the right. internet. Yes. <laughs> and then we just trust Google's natural language processing algorithms, yada, 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 like return us results. SEO optimization around healthcare is like a hilarious content moderation like thing to me. Like Reddit searches are going to get ranked higher than any medical information mm. one. I'd be interested to see on which page number that document that the people from UMass have published would be returned if you Googled women's health bipolar. Mm. My bet is not in the top 100. I'd love to do it. Someone could prove me wrong. I'd love to see it. It ain't on the first page. Guarantee. And if it ain't on the first page on Google, you ain't going to find it. No. Like, there's a, a million like user interface, like UX, UI studies that show that if you get a search result returned on page two of Google, and nobody ain't ever seen it. Right. Like, there's an entire cottage industry. And then in that cottage industry, there's a billion-dollar ad industry to determine where search results get ranked in a Google search. And the documents that are being returned to people searching for healthcare information, as they do not exist on WebMD, do not get service to end users. So, like, yes, these people have a catch-all flowchart informational document about what pregnant women should do regarding mental health issues from alcohol use disorder to bipolar disorder and everything in between that's listed the diagnostic and statistical manual. Sure. It exists on the internet somewhere. And it needs you to find, I don't care. I like, I'll go toe to toe with any doctor that suggests that it is, it is not the way that we search for consume information. It just ain't easy. And mind you, the Lamictal section was maybe five lines tops. You know what I mean? And that's not enough information yeah, for me like, when also, I was like, having I love, a mental breakdown. Like, yeah, I mean, like, you Google, like, bipolar disorder meds and, like, Lamictal and Depakote. Like, you know, like, they, they exist. Do, does anybody spell Lamictal on a Google search right the first time? Never. <laughs> Try Lamotrigine. That's so even harder. <laughs> yeah, Lamotrigine. Yeah, I mean, like, I get it. Look, this is there are reasons why Adderall is the brand name. <laughs> like, right, right. I, I find it hard to believe. So A, we've gone through the search result nonsense. B, the fact that you did not find it is a fault of yours and not science communication, accessibility of primary research, which is usually locked up behind paywalls. Because I have a university login and VPN on my computer, I can access most things from most publishers for free. Right. If you are a basic human, and you want to read an article that's published by Nature Publishing Group, it is $250 an article. Oh, my God. 
if you wanted to go search for the primary research about levictal and pregnancy and the you know controlled trials that have been run and you did not have a login access to to find the the papers behind that university paywall or publisher paywall you would have to spend thousands of your own dollars to access the primary information wow david so we have an access problem we have a search results problem and then we have the problem of if you can jump over the first two hurdles hurdles, yeah the consistency the reproducibility and to many ways the likelihood of the primary research that you're reading is real and up to date is kind of a coin flip right right understand that there are many steps in the process where people create knowledge fight with each other about that knowledge generation incorporate that in a curriculum that then doctors go through either in medical school or continuing education who should be and continue to read primary research journals about current studies that have been going on, New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, et cetera, are supposed to incorporate that information and then inform their patients on it. There are so many places to fall apart in that process. To engage with that system, A, you have to be healthy. B, you have to be rich in some way, shape, or form. The fact that the idea that this information could be truthful, but inconsistent and locked up in the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. Mm-hmm. And yes, a journalist who's writing an article is in many ways, the most public, it's a New York times. Certainly I can't talk about editorial standards of people magazine off the top of my head, but must seek two other independent sources that are doctors or PhDs to publish an article like the one that you gave. Right. It's a legal requirement for them that they must go out and speak to physicians. So, in many ways, what I think what happened with the People magazine article that the journalist that was writing them had that sort of obligation to do that and journalistic integrity to ask, I'm going to find a physician and I'm going to ask them a very simple question. Does labictal cause birth defects or future problems in pregnancy? And the answer they got back, they did not do any further research on. They said this came from an MD. I am printing it as written. Any doctor that you ask this question to will give you the same answer, right. especially for public print. They will yeah. not do the thing that I'm doing right now about yeah. like, well, this is how it's done. This is how the pudding's made. Uh, here are the problems associated with this statement. You've got a sentence. Right. It's too many words. You can't do that. Absolutely. You have a sentence. And you also, you know, to to People Magazine's credit, is that they were trying to find resources to be able to provide for, you know, those readers that were out there who are reading, who don't know where to go for totally help. Understand. And so that, that I completely understood. Move. Totally correct move. But what you're saying is... I mean, you go deeper. Like, as a physician, this is what you say. You don't want to publicly discuss what could be potentially misconstrued as misinformation, especially after the last two years. Like, obviously, I give the same answer. Right. People call me to vet a source, and they're like, do SSRIs cause ADHD? Do they cause autism? The answer is no. Like, that is the official response that I give. Right. I get it. But, like, we're, we're just we going a little deeper. There's more to it. 
Right. And that's what it, what this resource is for. Like, that's what this podcast mm -hmm. is for, yeah. is to give those resources, like, the extra deeper thoughts. And this isn't some fucking Yahoo that just Googled, you know, I did a five-minute right. Google search, got my information from Facebook. I'm doing my own research right. in air quotes. Like, right. no, like, I'm a re I know what I'm doing. Yeah. This is your job. So you ask about the chick ever. So here's the deeper conversation. The, the stuff that the we then do, thalidomide causes birth defects. Why? We find the incidence that happens in the public population. You take this drug, something bad happens. Now we got to figure out the mechanism. Mm -hmm. When I add that drug to something, what is the biological change that it causes that then produces the outcome that I observe with my own eyes? We do that by studying bio developmental biology. In many ways, the easiest way to study developmental biology is to study something in a model system that you can see that is stable, that has a very, very quick reproduction cycle. Mm. Many of the reasons why we use rodents is because they get pregnant and give birth in like two months. So you can do one generation to eight generations much quicker than you could in humans. Right. Right. There are also ethical obligations of doing this in humans, but you know what I mean? Like yes, the yes. reason why people use fruit flies in genetics is because you put flies in a tube and then you get baby flies 24 hours later when you show up. Wow. You can run seven generations in a week of work. Easy, quick, dirty. It's how you study biology. Chick embryos, chickens, chick embryos are a very good model system to just study developmental biology. They lay eggs every day. Right. You take an egg, you put it in an incubator, you add some drug to it while the embryo is developing, and you say, what are the causes when I add thalidomide to that chick embryo? You've got it. So to answer your question, to be able to understand what's going on in those studies, where is that information? It's in developmental biology textbooks that are about this thick that you read in graduate school. Wow. Wow. That information, that primary information doesn't even get to people who are studying to be doctors because it gets compressed into course units that are taught by, by system. So you take a developmental biology class, you are aware or you learn that this is how these things happen. But you don't ever study the primary literature, you just study the hits. Wow. Like you've got a neural plate that form, there's a mesoderm, an ectoderm, and an endoderm, you add drug, you add, add wet, differentiation happens, you get a spinal cord, you get a butt in the mouth, and then you wait a couple months and then you have a, a fucking child. Like it's quite simple. The drugs, when they happen, at what specific stages, all the things that we've done in chicks have informed how we understand how females have children. Human, like, it all translates up the chain. Who knew it all started with a chicken and an egg? When you find a population drug effect that you believe is real, you take it to a laboratory, you say, when I add the drug, what does it do to the signaling pathway that causes these nerve tissues to differentiate from one way or another? Right. That causes the liver to deform, that causes the skin, the foil, the things. There's a lot of folding in developmental biology. Wow. Like we start out as a piece of flat paper and we get folded into this essentially across all animals that are mammals. We all look the same in embryo. And we all fold. There's a lot of fancy science that goes into it, but like, what we learn in these studies gets translated up the chain, gets implanted in doctors' heads, and this is how they make decisions. We're now coming full circle again back yeah. to the article. The process of the MGTOM not finding birth defects. It's not causative. There might be some incidence ratio 
based off of some hazard ratio that somebody studied with some 95% confidence interval, but we don't need to talk about it. Right. This, but like there, it's there, it's been done. Follow studies in chick embryos, far and few between. Those studies in chick embryos were essentially just looking for birth defects, nothing else. The human studies that have been done to study Lamictal have only really focused on birth defects as well. The cleft palate is sort of the main one, the main takeaway. Um, and the majority of trial participants for Lamotrigine and Lamictal, the two names are interchangeable. It's just brand versus right. like name yeah. of drug. Those drugs themselves were created as anticonvulsants. They work on specific ion channels and nerves that cause them to fire or not fire, depending on what the identity of that neuron is. The identity is defined by its genetic and transcriptional profile. Again, like we're already in the weeds. That's why, that. well, no, what you're saying basically is that's why it's for people who live with who epilepsy is people are prescribed. Epileptic seizures, yes. Yes, right, it controls seizures. neuronal firing when neuronal firing occurs in a synchronicity pattern that is abnormal to how your brain normally fires, you get patterned rhythm firing of neurons, which causes someone to enter a seizure state, right. depending on where in the brain those neurons fire in synchronicity or not in, in sync can cause other and specific types of seizures. Right. If they happen in the corpus callosum, the thing that separates the two brain regions from each other, hemispheres from each other, it's called something versus a very focalized seizure in some specific like occipital lobe. Like you've heard these terms before, right. but the drug itself aims to focus on sort of working with those things. And it's, it's a target of ion transporters, what cause it neurons to fire, yada, yada, yada. Targeting those things in development while an animal's an embryo, while it grows into an adult form, does not cause birth defects in a chick embryo. Likely does not cause it in a human embryo. There's no evidence to suggest that it would. If you look at mental disorders across the board, the core component of why some people might have bipolar, schizophrenia, anxiety, depression, PTSD, ADHD is the way that the neurons fire is different from other people's, which was why an anticonvulsant measuring the mixel was taken to treat bipolar disorder, which is not an epileptic disorder disease, but is in fact one that is manifested in your behavioral output. No studies, to my knowledge, again, might be wrong. I'd love for somebody to prove me wrong here. Yeah. Have ever been done that have focused on an anticonvulsant, anti-epileptic class of drugs. They've been done with SSRIs, SNRIs, so serotonin, norepinephrine, norepinephrine, for my friends that are in Europe, noradrenaline. We have two different names. Don't ask me why. Um, no studies. Studies have been done for that. That is your SSRIs, ADHD, autism. No studies for lamotrigine or or Depakote, the other drug that is in the same class. have ever been done that are focused on pregnant women, who have then given birth to study if they have higher incidence rates of depression, anxiety, ADHD, or autism. It is a completely clean slate in the research. I cannot find anything. Wow. Never been done. So again, the statement is Lamictal is safe to take during pregnancy because of the current meta-analysis that we have. But nowhere in that stack is an analysis of future mental disorders from drug intake during pregnancy. 
You can rely on a base of medical knowledge to make a decision. The conversation that you are having is trying to address the fact that these studies do not exist, to my knowledge. Right. If they have, they are very hard to find. Right. No one's talking about them. There needs to be further research done for your very specific take on why you have chosen to stop taking medicine during pregnancy because the lack of defined research around the very specific take that you have on the drug that you take to treat your bipolar disorder. One of the many ways that you treat your bipolar one of those ways has no evidence one way or the other while it will affect your offspring at some later time point in life. To me, there is no data out there that exists. I understand how a journalist could write the article that they wrote as a takeaway based off of the what I am not disagreeing with, that Lamictal is safe to take during pregnancy, medical knowledge, but it is a very nuanced taken point that all of the boring science that I just explained notes the fact that there is a gap in knowledge. And what I think is the most interesting thing about the reaction from the people piece is that other women who have experienced pregnancy themselves are thinking about getting pregnant are currently living with and treating some mental health condition also acknowledge that that was true without I, I don't know what their medical knowledge background is like right. I don't know what degrees they have I don't know what they've studied right but like they have understood a very complex process from get to A to B and have noted there might be something wrong in there. Right. They can't do their own research about it because it doesn't exist, but they have noticed that there is A, a lack. this problem, and B, a lack of a community to provide pushback, advice. Absolutely. Feedback to doctors and medical organizations. Absolutely. To say, we want you to go out and do those studies. That is what you are advocating for. I think that is one of the most important things to do. And I am so glad that other people are finding that narrative and not getting lost in the forest on how to get there. And I thank you for saying that because I think that that was, you know, it's been very hard for me um, with this pregnancy of getting my mind to function properly, if you will, like pregnancy brain is a real thing. And I, I lose track of my words and, and my communications and, and the things that I want to be saying. And so I felt sometimes when I was talking, you know, to the journalist who was so lovely, I, I, I would be at a loss, right? So I had to have things written down so I could really be clear about it. But the thing that I'm most clear about now, post People Magazine article, is that there is such a lack of conversation in regards to, you know, research, development, conversations, judgment, stigma, your OBGYN, your specialists, you know, all of these these different doctors and, and different types of modalities and the judgment simply just behind it all. And there was a lot mm -hmm. of judgment from people, um, not people magazine, people in general, like the world um, uh, that I got from, 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 you know, um, not outsiders and not friends, but just like, just things that I heard here and there of, wow, I can't believe you got off your medication. Like, you know, you, you were risking yourself, you know, and 
yes, I like to preach the fact that you have to take care of yourself, right? Plane's going down, put the mask on first, take care of yourself. But at the end of the day, I was very lucky to have a team of people that were surrounding me where if it got really bad, they knew to take me away and that I would be taken care of, therefore not hurting myself nor hurting the baby. Um, and I know that, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, in the article it was saying that I, I relapsed three times and I just wanted to clarify um, kind of what that meant, um, what a relapse meant um, or I don't know the why the word relapse words. words. Yeah, in my in words, words, what it what it meant was um, in my second trimester, that is when I found it to be the absolute most difficult time living with bipolar disorder, having these new hormones and dealing with this pregnancy. Um, I found my version of an in quote out of quote relapse was being out of control and not being in control of my emotions and being very angry and very snappy and very overwhelmed and not just like crying outbursts, but not feeling like myself in my body and wanting to be able to just scream or do what I used to be able to do, which was punch a mirror or hit a wall or throw my phone. I wanted to be able to do these things without the consequences of my, you know, my, my, what is it when, when you're like, what is, what gets released? Like when you are having one of those problems, like one of those panic attacks or anxiety or stress, like whatever hormone is released, I didn't want that released into my child, right? That's what I did not want. So I wanted to be able to have someone take the child out of my stomach, hold the baby you know, in utero, would someone else hold the baby in utero? Me scream and hit myself, which is something that I am prone to doing. I, I am prone to hitting my head. You know, that's something that I release with this anger. That's the eruption. That's the volcanic explosion. I wanted to be able to do that and have it have no effect on, on the child. Um, and so that happened a couple times where that feeling came over me where I was out of control. And there was yep. a point where my mother and my husband had to say, okay, we need to get you on the phone immediately with your doctor. We need to talk to the therapist. We need to see what's going on. And I was evaluated and I did not have to go back on my medication. It was an, an outburst that happened over, you know, the longest period I think was three hours was the relapse. And, and I use that in quotes. And, you know, in those times, it was very scary for Sturgis because he had never seen me off my medication, uh, off Lamictal. So for him, it was a do or die, like, do we take you to the hospital? And then it was my mom coming in who had experienced this for 34 odd years saying, no, we don't need to take her to the hospital, but we need to call these doctors and then we can decide from there, you know, and then it went away and then it disappeared. And it would come in ebbs and flows. And that's what would happen. And it was finding different types of modalities to kind of calm my nerves. But at the end of the day, am I, um, you know, I was very upset with myself and angry that I allowed myself to even get there, but I knew there was no control of it. But to be fair, even when I was on my medication, I still would have manic outbursts. 
So, you know, would would I be guaranteed that I wouldn't have felt these feelings with this new rush of hormones in general? I don't know. Um, but I know that I'm someone that beyond the superstitious, I, I'm someone that truly believes like what we intake inside of our body is going to affect the baby. And I was not willing to do the risk of taking the Lamictal um, with child in utero, um, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. You know, a cleft palate, you know, may seem like nothing to someone, right? Um, but to me, knowing people who were born with cleft palates and the emotional and psychological, you know, mess ups that happen to them because of of this deformity, that's a huge thing for me. You know, it, it it's it doesn't seem like it would be something big until it happens to you. And you know, when you are that zero point one percent of someone that has that bad, you know, outtake, who's going to be there? You know, the 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 you know, the world can say, oh, well, it's, it's such a small chance. Well, what if I am that small chance? Are you going to be there for me to help me to to physically change my my child's face? Are you going to be there for the emotional, you know, d disabilities that come along with it and the struggles? You know, so there's all of that that goes along with it. And I also want to point out that we do not have research of there is no research whatsoever that I've been able to find that since this article has come out that anyone has been able to present to me that shows what happens to the child's mental illness and mental well-being as they grow on. We don't see what happens six months down the line. We don't see what happens six years down the line, 16 years down the line, because how can you test what goes on mentally in a chick embryo? You know, like I had a conversation with you, like when we first talked about this, like while you were going through the article too, like, Again, the medical knowledge base will tell you that your child will, with extremely overwhelming odds, have no physical deformities. Right. That's fine. Like, you can still understand that as fact and be worried about it happening. That is right. how we are wired to think. Right. And B, like, I think the frustrating thing to watch happen from my perspective as you go through this is... You're telling your personal story. You're telling your thoughts and fears. You're noting that there's a lack of knowledge. And people are now using the fact that you might be symptomatic, but still have your bipolar treatment plan and, and disorder under control. Yes, the highs got real high there, but it wasn't like you were rapid cycling for four weeks, unwilling to go back on your medicine. Right. Like we had a conversation about the cleft palate issue. We had a conversation about where is the line if this gets too bad right. to go back on meds. Right. Like, and we had a conversation about the fact that you're almost expected to relitigate the entire knowledge basis from an end user, non-medical professional point of view about the decision that you made based off of a risk assessment that you don't think is adequate, knowing that you also have an insane support system beyond just taking drugs right. to deal with your disorder right. is really unfortunate. Yeah. Like that produces more stigma associated with how people manage their disorders. Yeah. Not to mention you are pregnant. 
And there is a large basis out there that suggests that bipolar disorder is genetic. And again, where are the studies that show lamictal by genetic prevalency and offspring outcome effect? I'd be happy to see them in my email inbox if you can show me any. Right. Like, there are so many unknowns. You did a risk-reward calculation within an unreal support safety net that said, I think that I have been managing this disorder for many of years. I am not alone in managing it. I understand that there can be negatives associated with coming off my meds while I am pregnant. Sure. But, like, you are not, for a lack of better terms, the stigmatizing term that people want to use when they describe what's going on here that don't understand it, you're not being a fucking crazy person. Yeah. Like this is a very well thought out decision. For months before even getting pregnant. Yes. You don't have any medical training. You are going to describe you are going to describe your experience in a way that might elicit a response from somebody who is medically informed to think that you are making a bad decision. Sure. You don't know how drugs transfer through the placenta. You shouldn't have to know. No, no, it's not my job. <laughs> yeah, and like if someone using that information to potentially insult a very informed decision that you have made to stop a pharmacological treatment but continue intense therapy, continue working in your social support networks, continue being very vocal, about the decisions that you are making. And then just because you did that one thing around one very specific drug, right? that is the only thing people want to focus on and they want to weaponize it against you to be like, this bitch is crazy. Well, and that's how the, the researcher made me feel. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. And people who do that are the biggest flag wavers that tell me those people also have no fucking clue what they're talking about. Right. Like you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. And when that research thing came through, I was so upset and I had called you and I was like, I'm just so mad because it's like, I'm here just sharing my story. I'm not telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And you said to me from the very beginning, you said, if you were doing something that I medically and like scientifically thought was a bad decision, I would be openly telling you this is a bad decision but you're not. And, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm very aware of that, that I have, you know, the, the medical, you know, crew behind me that has my back, that if I needed anything that have the support system and that people don't have that. But I just wanted to share my story because I know I'm not the only woman that's alone going through a pregnancy, wondering what you should and shouldn't do with your medication. And I'll say one more thing and make it about myself yeah. before we move on. Because yeah. I think this is like a very good, we've come to the takeaway. Mm -hmm. But like, I've been diagnosed. The first bipolar diagnosis that I got is, I don't know what year is it. Let's call it maybe five, six years ago now. I haven't been on medication for over a year. Right. I'm not taking my lamictal. Right. Am I fucking crazy? No. Am I going against doctor's orders? Like, I've done so much work physically, mentally, in therapy, psychosocially. I've taken meds when I've needed them, et cetera. Like, I have a treatment plan that I have defined with my doctor yeah. that I work with my therapist on, that my wife and friends and family are all informed on, 
And there are many off ramps if I do get manic or depressed again to re-enter very specific treatments. I have a Lamictal script on file with the pharmacy ready to be called in at any right. given second. Like I've done all the homework. People don't see that. But the response that you got from some people to this story made me question, it's not that I'm afraid to tell people that this was my diagnosis, but I almost feel like I'm too healthy to be bipolar all of a sudden. Right. Totally, it's David. crazy. Yes. I tell people I'm bipolar and they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, oh, this is a fun one. <laughs> Ooh. Like, if I take care of myself... And the way that you want me to, so I can be a functional human being in society, and people call me brilliant, and people love to read what I write, they love to work with me, you know, like, I am being successful. Right. But because I am successful, they want to take the diagnosis away from me. You can't be bipolar if you're acting healthy. And it's nuts. I don't know the answer for you, but, like, the idea that, like, you had this diagnosis given to you. Yep. You have... The history, which will always be the history, like I have the same sensational drinking, drug use, like all the stupid stuff that I've done that makes me look like a horrible, out of control human being. Like we never get to remove that from our history. No. But I've done so much work to focus on treating that, that now I'm in a position where people tell me that I shouldn't be allowed to call myself the disorder that I have been given. As I act too smart and I act too healthy, and it through it's through the same filter of like people love to litigate women's bodies, especially when they're pregnant. I won't make any comments over Roe v. Wade yeah. right now, but like right. this idea that not only are you a woman who is pregnant, but you are a pregnant woman who has a disorder that has been historically regulated by society. You tell your story. And the response that you get from a strong majority of people is you're fucking doing it wrong. And that says more about them than it will ever say about you. Yeah, it's so true. And that's the stigma component here that you've got to absolutely implode. And there are hundreds of other women that have reached out to you that see it from our perspective. Yeah. And those women aren't crazy. They're trying to make medicine a better place. Oh. And if we can't agree on that, Everything else is broken. Yeah. It's so true. They just want to be heard. And they're trying to just have that conversation of not being scared to have that have that talk with a doctor, it's with a friend. To, to the be specialist. in your position right now. I will never understand it, but I have extreme amounts of empathy for what you're going through right now and the courage that it takes to speak up, knowing that that will be some of the pushback that you get. But like here I am wearing the medicine lab coat and hat that I we don't wear hats, but you know what I mean? Yes. Like saying, like, no, this is valid. Right. There's a gap here. Right. These people need to be heard. They need to be listened to. We need to apply medicine to this problem to figure it out. There's an entire group of women in a support group or in a in a social, you know, like stratified grouping that have a disease and a disorder component like disease disorder we can argue about the linguistics right, of it right. but like something that is genetically and environmentally going to impact their children regardless whether they take drugs or not like the disorder itself is passed down through heredity right like 
they are screaming at the top of their lungs that they need help and resources. Where are they? Where are the people showing up to help them? Yep. Like you went to medical school, put on your scrubs and go help them. Yeah. Like you can disagree with some very specific comments that you have, but the source and the substance of where you're coming sure. from is all there. Like this is a, a blatantly obvious problem that there is a lack of community and certainly a lack of education for medical professionals to address the concerns of this community. If you were in business school trying to disrupt an industry, this is the place to do it. Right. We already disrupted taxis. We already disrupted airplanes. Like this is, there is an entire group of people that will continue to get pregnant that do not have the support and resources that they need. Go fix it. Like I will scream from the top of my mountain to try and get the people that I know involved to work on this. Yeah. But this is a huge deal and it needs to be addressed. David, we're going to fix it and we are going to, it's, it's it literally like, I think that, I don't even think, I know the whole purpose of this pregnancy was to bring in this incredible being and just learning so much more and evolving of what the medical industry, what mental illness what all of it means to me, to you, and to others out there. And I do want to thank People Magazine for allowing me to have that opportunity to be able to share my story and be able to reach the masses in a way that I could not even imagine I'd be able to. And to all of the people who have reached out in regards to the article and and what's going on, um, I thank you. And I feel the support and I hear you and I'm ready to just build this community and David and I are going to do this. So be sure to um, please uh, leave a comment, write an email. You can do it um, through the emotionalsupportpod.com. You can leave a review um, on Apple Pod and be sure to subscribe and share. And um, I love you all so much. And David, we love you so much. You're just absolutely the best. And I can't wait for any more Beauty and the Brains. To come.